Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Galatians. We invite you to join us at One Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. All right, we are going to get started. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our lives and saving us and doing for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves each and every day. If you have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's service? I want to thank everyone that serves in the ministry. We're grateful for everyone, one body, many parts. We all need each other for this to function properly, and we're grateful. And we will start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this awesome opportunity tonight, Lord, to gather as your family, to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and place your name above all names, Lord, even our own, as all of us fight to put you first in our lives, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all your generous provisions that you provided for us today, Lord, and thank you for getting us all here safely, Lord. Help us to see you in everything, Lord, and I pray that you take all the bitterness out of our hearts, Lord, and fill it with your love, Lord. So we could always be forgiving and loving and represent you properly here on planet Earth, Lord. I pray for our great nation, Lord, that you keep your hand over it, Lord, for the sake of your believers, so we can bring others into your kingdom, Lord. And I pray for all the other nations that might be in tyranny, Lord, that you restore peace to them nations, Lord, by touching them with your spirit, Lord, and bringing love and peace back into the world, Lord. And we ask that you come soon, Lord. And as always, let everything we do tonight be led by your spirit, Father, and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Okay, we're going to stand. Brittany's going to come up and sing, and we're going to get started. Oh. Uh-huh. 
Thanks, Brett. You're beautiful. How's everybody doing tonight, okay? Yeah. Good to see everybody come out tonight. How about a smile on everybody? Come on, we're here tonight. We're alive to see. Let's go. Yeah, smile. And yeah, girl. Maya. All right. All right. We got a lot of things to be happy about. Heaven is our home, amen? This is a temporary residence here. It's good to see everybody. We're going to start tonight in First Peter chapter 2. Please turn with me there. We have um, the black Bibles in the pews we will be studying out of tonight. Just a reminder, the Holy Spirit will be taking over. Please be attentive to that and prepare your hearts to hear what the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. Amen? Okay. First Peter chapter 2. We're going to back up to verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. So he's telling us, he's giving us a warning that this is not our permanent home. Don't get too comfortable down here. Don't copy the customs of this world. To keep away from the desires that the world always tries to put in front of us as Christians. And it says in verse 12, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So he says to live properly so you can prove that you belong to Jesus. That's everything. The way you live really dictates what you believe. What you believe will emanate on the way you live. And that's why even if people accuse us of doing wrong, they'll see that we live honorable life for the Lord and it'll just silence them. Okay, now the next part is respecting people in authority. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. So the Bible tells us clearly that we're to respect all the authority that's put above us. The government, the officials, we're to pray for them and honor them like we would honor Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. It's God's will for the king to punish those who do wrong and honor. In verse 15, it's God's will that your honorable life should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. So we have to understand, as Christians, people are going to make accusations against us. And the only way that we're going to prove them wrong is by living an honorable life. So they can't have anything to say about it. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. So many Christians today use their freedom to continue in their sinful nature. And that is the furthest thing what the Bible teaches us. It says, you are free, yet you are God's slaves. What are God's slaves? We're slaves of righteousness, to do the right thing, even when our flesh wants to do the wrong thing. And it says, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone in love 
the family of believers, fear God and respect the king or the governors or the official or the president. In verse 18, slaves or employees, you should you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. So it tells us when we go to work, we go to work for Jesus Christ each and every day, and it does not matter how they treat us, we have to treat them like we treat Jesus. Can I get an amen for this? This is what the Bible teaches, and this is the life we have to live. It tells us right here, even if they're cruel, for God is pleased when you conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Then it says, of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. So it tells us that we have to suffer and be patient and endure patiently. God is pleased with us. So that tells me that that means we're going to have to we're going to get persecuted and beat up, beat up down here as Christians, and we're not to retaliate, but leave that into the hand of God. God is pleased with you when you suffer for him. Look what it says in verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. What is a Christian to do when we're getting persecuted and beaten up by the world? Leave it in God's hands, because nobody gets away with anything. Now, can I get an amen for this? God will always take care of it, in his time, in his way. Amen to that. We're not to take matters in our own hands as Christians, and we're not to be defenders of God. Let me tell you something. Jesus is our advocate. We leave it in God's hands. We're not here to argue. We're here to love and build each other up, not to fight and argue with people. Take any amen for this. And you get Christians get in this religious activity and legalism, and they got to do this, and you got to read this and do that. And then when we no. The motive is love. Jesus loved everybody unconditionally, even the ones that killed him. And that's what he said. You must follow in his footsteps. And that's where spiritual growth comes in. We studied the Bible so we could become Christ-like in our character. And the Holy Spirit comes in and empowers us so we can carry it out. Can I get an amen for this, please? Okay. Is everybody with me so far on this? And everybody's in a different place. Some Christians are more mature than others. Some can handle a little better. So when somebody falls, we lift each other up and we help each other. None of us are perfect. All of us fall short at times. That's why we're not never to judge our brothers and sisters. But we're here to love one another and encourage one another. Because we all get beat up in that world when we go out there. Some days are better than others. Thank God for his grace and mercy that he gives us each and every day when we don't deserve it. So guess what? Give yourself grace and mercy, and most of all, give people grace and mercy and room to grow. Leave it in God's hands. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. We can't save people. We just lead them to Christ.
And it says in verse 24, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. Why did he die? So that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Jesus died so we can die to sin and live for what is right. That's why he died for you. By his wounds, you are healed. You are healed spiritually. And it says, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Amen? We turn to Jesus. No matter what's going on, we're here tonight, right? I'm sure not everybody had a perfect day today. But we know we come here to get some spiritual food that we need, right? You know, and I'm glad that I have to go out into the world and do the same things you do. So when I come in here, I know what you went through today. It's the same thing. We're all in the same boat. So, but one thing we can rejoice in, we're just passing through and it's only for a season. And things are going to get better. Amen? Weep endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning, the Bible says. All right, we are going to continue in our Galatians study. I want us to turn to Galatians chapter 4, please. We are going to continue with that. I'm going to summarize briefly before we get started what the book of Galatians is all about. <clears throat> Galatians was written because the churches of that region were facing a theological crisis. The essential truth of justification by faith rather than by human works was being denied by the Judaizers, legalistic Jews, who insisted that Christians must keep the Mosaic law. In particular, the Judaizers insisted on circumcision as a requirement for Gentiles who wish to be saved. In other words, convert to Judaism first and then you are eligible to become a Christian. When Paul learned that this heresy was being taught to the Galatian churches, he composed an epistle to emphasize our liberty in Christ and to counter the perversion of the gospel that the Judaizers promoted. The fact that we are justified by grace through faith means we have spiritual freedom. We are not under bondage to the dictates of the Old Testament law. Paul soundly condemns anyone who would denigrate the grace of God and attempt to change the gospel. He gives his apostolic credentials and emphasizes that righteousness comes through Christ, not the works of the law. The Galatians must stand fast in their freedom and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, that is the Mosaic law. Christian freedom is not an excuse to gratify one's sin nature. Let's get that straight. Rather, our freedom is an opportunity to love one another. How about a big amen there? The Christian life is to be lived in the power of the Spirit, not the flesh. The flesh has been crucified with Christ, and as a consequence, the Spirit will bear his fruit in the life of the believer. In the end, the issue is not whether a person is circumcised but whether he is a new creation, Galatians 6 tells us, salvation is the work of the Spirit, and we must be born again, like it tells us in John 3, 3, external religious rites such as circumcisions are of no value in the realm of the Spirit. Now, practical application of this. One of the main themes of the book of Galatians 
is found in 3.11. The righteous shall live by faith. We must stand firm in this truth. Any compromise with legalism or the mixture of human effort and the grace of God for salvation leads to a heresy. If we could be saved through keeping the law, then Jesus did not need to die. Trying to save ourselves nullifies grace. So what the Bible tells us, if you try to do this in the flesh, the Bible says you're under his curse, and you'll always be frustrated and discouraged. But when you do this in the Spirit, the Spirit sets us free to make mistakes and makes faults, and God picks us up, cleans us up, dusts us off, and we get back in the race. His grace and mercy saves us from ourselves. Not only are we saved by faith, but the life of the believer in Christ day by day, moment by moment, is lived in and through that faith. Not that faith is something we conjure up on our own. It is the gift of God, not, not of works. But it is our responsibility and joy to exhibit our faith so that others will see the work of Christ in us and grow in our faith by the application of spiritual disciplines such as Bible study, prayer and obedience, confession and repentance, etc. Jesus said we would be known by the fruit of our lives, Matthew 7, 16, which should give evidence of the faith within us. All Christians should be diligent in striving to build upon the saving faith within us so that our lives will reflect Christ and others will glorify your Father who is in heaven. How about a big amen for that? All right. Is everybody in Galatians 4 now? Okay. We pick, we're going to pick up in verse 18. He was talking about the false teachers that were trying to take Paul away from them, saying there was a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts to become saved, but instead of just believing. Now, he says in verse 18, If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel <clears throat> as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. The Apostle Paul was like, he was getting so discouraged because the, the faith in the people was, they didn't have strong faith. And it says, look what it says, I feel like I'm going through labor pains for you. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. So Jesus is fully developing in our lives one day at a time. That's why a pastor's heart is always to watch people grow in grace and knowledge. Amen? And just see people change. And it happens over time and not overnight. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. Okay? In, in verse 19, Paul led many people to Christ and helped them mature spiritually. Perhaps one reason for his success as a spiritual father was the deep concern he felt for his spiritual children. He compared his pain over their faithlessness to the pain of childbirth. We should have the same intense care for those from whom we are spiritual parents. When you lead people to Christ, remember to stand by them to help them grow. Whenever God leads somebody, if you lead somebody to Christ, remember to help them move along and help them grow in Christ. Amen. You don't just get in the church. You stay with them and help them and encourage them to grow. Can I get an amen for this, please? Okay. Is everybody with me so far on this? It's so important. 
All of us need a lot of room to grow. We all go through growing pains. Anybody going through growing pains? We all go through growing pains. Physically, you know, when you're a kid, you go through the growing pains. You start growing. But spiritually, we go through a lot of growing pains. A lot of people come to church beat up. They come to Bible study weary and worn out and beat up. But this is where we get plugged in again. We hear the word of God and we encourage one another and build each other up to get back in it. We know tomorrow's going to be another day when the devil's going to try to attack us and take over our hearts again. We'll always be prepared. In verse 20, I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Verse 21, tell me, you who want to live under the law or by the commandments, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife, like it tells us in Genesis 16, 15, and 21, 2 to 3. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Now we know that Abraham was waiting a long time to have a son, and he, he ran out of patience. And he decided to do it on his own. But that wasn't God's will. But he had a, 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 a son born of the slave wife. So now it says, <clears throat> it says, the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. How many times do we try to fulfill God's purpose for our lives in the flesh? And we don't wait on God. We have a hard time being patient and waiting on the Lord. And we take matters in our own hand too far too often. And all that does is set us back in our Christian walk. Just like it tells us in the Bible. What, what, what um, Abraham did set him back 15 years in God's plan. But he still fulfilled the promise. One thing about God, once he makes a promise, he's going to keep it. Amen? People break their promises, but God don't. But if you don't want, you don't want to be the one who gets in the way of the, having the promise come to fulfillment. Now it tells us, the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Now look what it says. Now he's going to make an example of this. In verse 24, he says, These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, who was Hagar, represents Mount Sinai when people received the law that enslaved them. Okay? In verse 24, Paul explained that what happened to Sarah and Hagar is an allegory or picture of the relationship between God and people. Paul was using a type of argument that was common in his day and that was probably being used against him by his opponents. Okay, in verse 25. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia. Okay? In the Greek, and Hagar, which is Mount Sinai in Arabia, is now like Jerusalem. Other manuscripts read, in Mount Sinai in Arabia, now like Jerusalem, because she and her children live in slavery to the law. Verse 26. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem which is the spirit. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth, break into a joyful shout, 
You who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. That's Isaiah 54, verse 1. Verse 28. In you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. There's always a conflict between people that want to do outward things, legalists, like, you got to do this, you got to do this, you can't do this, you can't dress like this, and all outward things that say that make, that make you a Christian. That does not make you a Christian what you wear. Or what you do, what makes you a Christian is what you believe in your heart. That Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sin and rose again. That's what makes you a Christian, not by what you wear. And this is what they were trying to tell him. You have to follow the laws. If you want to be a Christian, you have to follow all the laws in the Bible, and then you can become a Christian and get circumcised. Now, look what it says here. Look at verse 30. But what do the scriptures say about that? It says, get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son, like it tells us in Genesis 21.10. What's he trying to say? Listen, forget about trying to obey the law, the do's and don'ts. In the flesh, we can't do it. The reason why the law was given to show us that we couldn't do it, that we needed a savior. So now, when we look to Jesus and say, ah, here's the fulfillment of all that. And now it's the law of love. We love one another. Is the, is the commandments done with? No, the commandments are fulfilled. Love is what the commandments, all the commandments add up to. When you love somebody, you're not doing anything to hurt them. You're not cheating on them. You're not, doing, you're not stealing from them. You're not disobeying them. You're doing everything that's best for them because you love them. There's where Jesus comes in. That's the law of love. We have the freedom now to love unconditionally. In the human effort, in the flesh, we can't love people unconditionally. We, you love me, I love you. You hurt me, I hurt you. But in the spirit, people hurt us, but we have empathy and we still love them. It's unconditional because God loves us unconditionally. When you, have, when you harbor bitterness and resentment in your heart, you can't have a Christ-like attitude because that comes out as anger and bitterness and that gives a foothold to the devil. That's why we have to forgive. Because if you don't forgive, it hurts you more than the person you're not forgiven. When you have unforgiveness in your heart. That's why the Bible says you must forgive. Every morning when you get up, clean the slate. Say, whatever happened yesterday, whoever hurt me, I forgive them, Lord. I'm putting them in your hands. When you do that, you'll get set free. You won't have, you won't have tyranny. You won't, have, you won't be upset. Because if you keep living in the past... You'll never be able to enjoy the Christian life ahead of in the future because that'll always hold you in bondage to hatred and bitterness. You can't love when you're bitter. That's why Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, you're not going to get forgiven. What does he mean? We've all been forgiven, but you're not going to experience the forgiveness in our spirit that we've been forgiven of everything and the joy of that forgiveness. You're going to have the heaviness of God's hand on you to see what it feels like to have unforgiveness in your heart. And there's no joy in it. 
Now, is this going to be an easy thing? And if somebody's hurt us, some people are going to hurt really bad by people. And we have to understand that we have to forgive them. And that's a process. It's not going to happen overnight like, poof, I forgive you and I love you now. It doesn't happen like that. This is something you have to continue and practice. Lord, please, empower me to forgive, Lord. Please, Lord. I'm confessing. I'm repenting, Lord. I need to forgive. I have bitterness in my heart, Lord. Please, Lord, fill me. Take the bitterness in and fill it with your spirit of love. And it's something that you practice every day until it goes away. Don't the, this, the Christian life is not osmosis. It's not some zapping and you're gone. It's gone. It's a process that takes place as we obey God's word, confess and repent, and move forward in the Christian walk. It's not something that happens overnight. You wish it did. So get away from anybody who says they're going to just go poof over you and you're going to be all healed. Stay away from them because they're only going to put a curse on you. If you read the Bible, it tells us what's going to happen. Okay, let's keep going here. Verse 30. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and his son, for the son of the slave and will not share the inheritance. Genesis 21, 10, 31. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman or the old covenant. We are children of the free woman, which is the new covenant. All right? Verse, all right. People are saved because of their faith in Christ, not because of what they do. What we do is the fruit of our salvation, not the condition of our salvation. Paul contrasted those who are enslaved to the law, which represented by Hagar, the slave wife, okay? With those who are free from the law, represented by Sarah, the freeborn wife, okay? Hagar's abuse of Sarah in Genesis 16.4 was like the persecution that the Gentile Christians were getting from the Judaizers. Okay? Who insisted on keeping the law in order to be saved. Eventually, Sarah triumphed because God kept his promise to give her a son, just as those who worship Christ in faith will also triumph. Amen? Now, before we move on to um, Galatians 5, I'm going to talk about what it talks about in Galatians 4, about the three distortions of Christianity just so you get a good understanding of what this is, okay? Three distortions, okay? Almost from the beginning, there were forces at work within Christianity that would have destroyed or sidetracked the movement. Of these three created many problems then ha and have continued to reappear in other forms even today, okay? The three aberrations are contrasted to true Christianity. The first group, Judaized Christianity and their definition of a Christian. Christians are Jews who have recognized Jesus as the promised Savior. Therefore, any Gentile desiring to become a Christian must first become a Jew. Their genuine concern, having a high regard for the scriptures and God's choice of Jews as his people, they did not want to see God's commands overlooked or broken. The danger tends to add human traditions and standards to God's law. Also, subtracts from the scriptures God's clear concern for all nations. 
Application question. Do you appreciate God's choice of the unique people to whom he offered forgiveness and eternal life to all people? Group two. Legalized Christianity. Their definition of a Christian. Christians are those who live by a long list of do's and don'ts. God's favor earned by good behavior. Their genuine concern recognize that real change brought about by God should lead to changes in behavior. The danger tends to make God's love something to earn rather than to accept freely. Would reduce Christianity to a set of impossible rules and transform the good news into bad news. Application question. As important as change in action is, can you see that God may be desiring different changes in you than in others? Group three, lawless Christianity. Their definition of a Christian. Christians live above the law. They need no guidelines. God's word is not as important as our personal sense of God's guidance. Their genuine concern Recognize that forgiveness from God cannot be based on our ability to live up to his perfect standards. It must be received by faith as a gift made possible by Christ's death on the cross. Now what's the danger? Forgets that Christians are still human and fail consistently when trying to live only by what they feel God wants. Application question. Do you recognize the ongoing need for God's express commands? as you live out your gratitude for his great salvation. Fourth one, true Christianity. Okay? The definition of a Christian. Christians are those who believe inwardly and outwardly that Jesus' death has allowed God to offer them forgiveness and eternal life as a gift. They have accepted that gift through faith and are seeking to live a life of obedient gratitude for what God has done for them. Their genuine concern, Christianity is both public and private, with hot belief and mouth confession. Our relationship to God and the power he provides results in obedience. Having received forgiveness and eternal life, we are now daily challenged to live that life with his help, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The danger avoids the above dangers. Application question. How would those closest to you describe your Christianity? Do they think you live so that God will accept you, or they know that you live because God has accepted you in Christ? How about a big amen for that? There's so many different twisted ways of Christianity. The true way of Christianity is we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he changes us inwardly and outwardly as we grow day by day, read his word, and do the best we can to apply it to our lives as we grow in our gratification for him. Amen? We do it because we want to, not because we have to. We do it because we love God and what he did for us. So in obedience and gratitude, we live a life worthy of our call. So people can see that Jesus really does control us and live inside of us. And we want other people to get into the kingdom. Do we do it because we have to? No, a true transformed Christian wants to do the right thing and please God 
all the time. Not because they have to, because they know what God did for them, and they know that they can't do it on their own. Can I get an amen for this? Now we got it right. All right, let's move on to chapter 5. This is my favorite chapter. All right. Freedom in Christ. So, Christ has truly set us free. What are we set free from? We're set free from the power of our sin nature. We're set free from that. We no longer have to obey it. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up in slavery to the law. Okay, now let me just elaborate on that. Christ died, okay, to set us free from sin and from a long list of laws and regulations. Thank God. Christ came to set us free, not free to do whatever we want because that would lead us back into slavery to our selfish desires, okay? Rather, thanks to Christ, we are now free to and able to do what was impossible before, to live unselfishly. Those who appeal to their freedom so they can have their own way or indulge their own desires are falling back into sin. But it is also wrong to put a burden of law-keeping on Christians. We must stand against those who would enslave us with rules, methods, or special conditions for being saved or growing in Christ. Verse 2. Listen. I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision or following the law to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. What's he saying? If you're trying to get right by obeying the commandments, coming to church, reading your Bible won't do anything for you. It won't do anything. That's what he's saying. You're, you're wasting your time. Verse 3. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ and you have fallen away from God's grace. So if you're trying to do it that way, right, you've fallen away from the law and you're under God's curse. You've fallen away from grace. How many of us need God's grace every day? Well, stop trying to do it by the law. You can't follow the set of rules. And listen, when we first start doing this, we always try to do it by the flesh. We always try to be good. I'm going to be better today. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray. God, I'm going to be better today. I promise. And as soon as you say that, you fail. We can't do it in the flesh. We have to grow spiritually. We have to do it in the spirit. Say, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. And we're going to go through many failures before we get successes. Just like, like I said, when you plant a tree in the ground, if it's a fruit tree... An apple tree, before that, that tree produces any fruit, how long does that tree have to grow before an apple pops out on that tree? It's the same thing with your Christian life. You've been saved from the, the Bible two or three years. You really think you're going to be doing all the fruit to the Spirit after two or three years and producing all that fruit in your life and mature? This is what Christians want to get mature real quick, and it doesn't happen that way. It happens over time. Look, a three-year-old cannot produce fruit 
or a four-year-old or a five-year-old. Fruit of the Spirit takes time to grow in us. And a lot of times we set ourselves back by what do we do? We put the Bible away. We stop going to church. We start living our own way again. And that just sets us back even further. Till we get broken again, then we come back to, we get all beat up and come back to church again. Instead of saying, I'm just going to stick and stay here. I don't want to get beat up. I'm just going to stay here till all hell freezes over. I'm staying right here. It will pass. The Bible tells me it's only for a season. Don't walk away and make the season longer than it has to be. All of us are going to go through a lot of things here. I'm not going to come up here and sugarcoat this. Look, we're going to suffer. You try to live right for Jesus in the world that's living for the devil, you're going to suffer for his name's sake. But hang in there. Jesus is with you. He's going to get you through. Don't go back to follow the devil. Christians do it all the time. They like this. They come to church, they don't come to church. They go to Bible, they don't come. They come, they this, they don't. And then the devil's got them. They're uncommitted Christians. The devil's ace Trump. All I know is this. When I come here, I'm safe. I know I'm safe when I come here. Jesus is with us. We're in the house. We're safe. We need it. I don't know about you, but I got beat up all day. All in the world, people are crazy out there today. They're nuts. They don't care about anything. They're all self-absorbed. They're on their phones. They're, they could care less who's behind them or courteous or anything like that. Everybody's so self-absorbed right now. It gets it gets frustrating for us because we wanna we want we want we our eyes are opened and we see all of it. Their eyes are they're in their own little world. They're in their little cocoon, and it's all about them. They don't care who's behind them, in front of them, whatever way they go. I don't care. It's all about me. When we come here, it's all about God. When we go out there, it's all about God. And we see it, we get frustrated. And we start to get bitter. That's just the way it goes. We see it. The world isn't going in a bad direction. Especially this country. It's becoming less and less, it's more and more godless out there. People are doing what's right in their own sight. What's wrong is right and what's right is wrong out there. That's why we have to get together in here. It's the only place of safety. We're on the same page here. We know what right and wrong is. Out there, there's no identity anymore. You can call yourself whatever you want. And you're accepted. We're in scary times right now, trust me. And it's only going to get worse. That's why growing spiritually is the best thing you can do right now. The best thing you can do. Instead of exercising physically, exercise your spiritual this is what's really important right now. Physical training is good, but training unto godliness is way more important than that and benefits you. Okay. In verse 3, keeping the law been cut off. And, right, and let me just explain that. Trying to be saved by keeping the law and being saved by grace are two entirely different approaches. Christ will be of no benefit to you means that Christ's provision for our salvation will not help us if we are trying to save ourselves. Obeying the law does not make it any easier for God to save us. All we can do is accept his gracious gift through faith. Our deeds of service must never be used to try to earn God's love or favor. Okay? In verses 3 and 4, circumcision was a symbol of having the right background and doing everything required by religion. 
Okay? No amount of work or discipline or moral behavior can save us. If a person were counting on finding favor with God by being circumcised, he would also have to obey the rest of God's law completely. Trying to save ourselves by keeping all God's laws only separates us from God. That's what it does. It says, if you want to do it that way, you've got to be perfect in every one. Fail at one point, you're guilty of them all. So we already failed, so why even try? But for some reason, practicing a religious system makes us feel like we're connected to God because we're practicing outward religious um, things. So it makes us feel like we're doing something right for God instead of trusting Him by faith. But it doesn't work that way. You, God is not a feeling. God is a fact. What the Bible tells us is a fact. It's not a feeling. The devil is going to make you feel like this isn't working. He's going to make you feel like this doesn't work. But it is working. You don't understand. You can't see. God sees the whole picture. We're so finite. We only see in the moment. God sees from the beginning to the end. Listen, you hang in there with God. He promised he'll get you through. And he's going to give us a safe landing in heaven one day. He's going to get us through it all. You want to have the guy that created all this on your side when you're down here. Trust me. You don't want him against you. So you're much better off just hanging in there till you ride out the storms. You ride out the storms with us. Well, how many of us can honestly say we don't go through any storms? We all go through storms. We ride it out together. Pain shared is pain lessened. We share our burdens together here. We love one another. I love to, I can't wait. I say, my friends even tell me at work, no, you can't, I bet you can't wait to go to church. I say, I do know. As soon as I walk in the door at work, I want to go to church. Because that's what it's like. Everybody's, bit, 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 everybody's bit, 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 talking about everybody, getting their own way, trying to one-up on someone else, trying to show somebody they're better than this, this, that, gossip and slander everybody. And I'm like, I'm going in the spray booth, shutting the door. The car don't say nothing to me. The car don't talk. And I go in there, and I listen to the Word of God. I have to. It's crazy, because our ears... Our ears, our flesh wants to hear stuff. It, it gravitates towards negativity. We want it, we say no, but, no, but it's, it's, it's in us. We don't want to do it, but we've got something in us that makes us want to hear something juicy. Am I the only one? Uh, am I the only one up here that has to come? No, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? As much as I don't want to hear it, I want to hear it. So I have to what? Phys it says, make no provision for the flesh. What does that mean? Walk away. So I'm all set. No. Mm -mm. Somebody said, I got to get out of here. Because if I did not like sin, I would not commit it. You have to understand where sin is because we like the sin. And if you can be honest with yourself and say, yeah, I like the sin. That's why I sin. Then God can help you. We sin because we want to sin. It makes us do it. It gives us something. It makes us feel better. For the moment, it does. At the end, you feel what? Disgusting. It doesn't promise anything. It brings forth death. Is everybody with me so far here? We're getting this, right? This is the real stuff here. Now, what's this? Let's go to verse 5. 
But we who live by the Spirit, okay, eagerly wait. See, we're waiting to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. What do you mean eagerly wait? See, we wait to receive that righteousness to do the right thing, to like be able to overcome that sin nature. We wait patiently for that to happen. Oh, one day we're going to wake up and that sin nature is not going to control us. You're going to say, wow, that's so awesome to be able to see. See, we don't understand how powerful our sin nature is until we try not to, to obey it, when we say no to it. Then we see how powerful our sin nature really is. Before we disobeyed it, so we didn't say, oh, it's only a sin nature. No, it's powerful. Okay. Now it says, verse 6, listen what it says here. It's going to tell us what's really important, my brothers and sisters. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, or in the word of God, see, when it says in Christ Jesus, you have to understand it's saying, when we put our faith in the words of God. Please understand that's what it means. When it says when you put our faith in Christ Jesus, it means we're putting our faith and trust in the words of God. Okay? There's no benefit of being circumcised or being uncircumcised. Look what it says what's important. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. That's what's important. Now it says, you are running the race. Man, my, my thing messed up for a minute. Let me get it here. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? Listen, you were running the We start to run the race well, right? Who holds us back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. The false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through a whole batch of dough. What's it saying? Somebody that tells you that you're not free, you have to follow a bunch of rules, could infect the whole church. <laughs> yeah. It is. <laughs> you got that right. There's people that go by appearance that make them Christians instead of what they believe. Now, it says, listen to what it says. You, who has held you back from fighting? It certainly wasn't God who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole... A little yeast, okay, causes a whole lump of dough to rise. It only takes one wrong person to infect all the others. You get a, a, a Christian that comes in and starts causing division, telling you this and that and that, and, start, and it spreads like cancer in the church. We're not here to spread division. We're here to spread love. I do this and they do that. That's, this is why Christianity is such a mess. Denominations. Such a mess because you're following a bunch of rules, do's and don'ts in, in human traditions instead of just following the Bible. You should be able to walk in any church and what should be going on is then reading the Bible to you. That's all that matters. Not dancing and smoke shows and all this other crazy stuff that goes on. We're Christians, we're learning the word of God so we can change and grow and become Christians. It's a transformation process. And you don't get that by getting your flesh, ooh, you feel good messages. And getting the, and the flesh all pumped up. 
looking for a spiritual high instead of truth. And that's what gets a lot of people. Oh, that church. Oh, I felt something when I went there. I felt something when I went there. <laughs> I can't even tell you what you felt, okay? I would have to shut the microphone off. You didn't feel God. Let's put it that way. God is not a feeling. <laughs> All right. So, look at verse 10. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teaching. When it says I'm trusting the Lord, I'm trusting that the word of God will keep you from believing people's false teachings. That's why you have to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation so nobody can trick you with that stuff. Genesis to Revelation. Don't let anybody tell you where to start the Bible. I'm telling you where you start the Bible. You start the Bible in Genesis. Don't start anywhere but in the beginning. And God will speak to you from there. Like any other book, you don't start in the middle of a book and expect to understand it. You start from the beginning and God will reveal himself to you over time. Don't jump around. You'll get more mixed up than you ever did. The Bible's laid out in a certain way. And when you read it the right way, you'll get many benefits of it. <laughs> and it says, I'm trusting and believing God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. That's why it's always good to stick, if somebody's teaching the right stuff, not to jump around to all different places because they tell you all different kinds of stuff to confuse you. You stay rooted and grounded somewhere that's teaching the word of God faithfully to you so you don't get tripped up. All right, we're going to stop there tonight. We'll pick up with verse 11 when we get back together in chapter 5. Okay, we're going to close... And then we're going to have a video. David, do you want to come up and close us tonight? We can bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the privilege it was tonight to fellowship with my fellow believers, Lord. Lord, thank you for the bountiful wisdom that came out of tonight's message, Lord. Thank you for the understanding about the justification of faith, Lord, that we are saved only through the grace of your Son, Jesus, Lord. But I pray for the wisdom and the maturity, Lord, that we can use this grace wisely to do your will, not our own, Lord. Please continue to search our hearts, Lord, for any sort of sinful behaviors that we might be hiding from you, Lord. Help us to confess to you, Lord, and just help us to grow spiritually and just grant us that wisdom and the maturity that we desperately need, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Have a great night. Until we meet again, God bless. Peace.